good morning, church, uh, as you heard from over here. Uh, my, na- my name is Patrick, uh, and along with Michaela, we will be preaching the sermon to you this morning. Good afternoon, church. It's so awesome to be here. <laughs> and yes, like Patrick said, my name is Michaela, and I'm super excited for this message. So before we go ahead and get started, I, I do just want to say something on behalf of the campus ministry. Um, I, I know that things are done a little bit differently than we're used to in Rancho and Riverside. Uh, of course, service is at four here, and the communion cups are weird. I'm sorry. Uh, they have the little compartment in the bottom. But, but honestly, walking in here, it, it feels exactly the same. It, it feels like home. So, so thank you for uh, embracing us. Thank you for encouraging us. Um, yeah, so, so thank you guys. Um, obviously, you guys have heard that the theme of our uh, retreat this weekend was all in. Uh, how, how many of you, d- does that term bring feelings of fear? And <laughs> Garrett, yeah. o- only, this, only right here? No, nobody else? Okay, thank you. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, it definitely, you know, for me, strikes up images of, you know, being called to pack a bag and move to the other side of the world. Um, it definitely um, is a little scary. Um, and especially we were, uh, our theme kind of passage for uh, this weekend was Matthew chapter 10. And there are some scary passages in here. Um, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Uh, verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Um, you know, if you're not in a position to pack a bag and move to Moldova, you know, what, what does it mean for us to be all in? What does it mean for us to be all in as a church? What does it mean for us to be all in as disciples? Um, and that's really what we wanted to talk about this morning. Um, yeah, so I'm going to pass it off to Michaela. She's going to pray and uh, start the sermon. Thank you. Amen. Church, please bow your heads with me as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for the AC in this building. Um, and just thank you so much for all the brothers and sisters that are here. It's just been super encouraging to be able to meet some people um, and to all be able to come together and worship you together. I pray that you can be with this message. Please take me and Patrick out of the way, and I pray that you can just really speak through your word and that we can hear what you want us to hear this morning or this afternoon. I love you so much, God, and I pray all of us in your son's name. Amen. All right, so like Patrick said, my name is Michaela Sullivan, and I am a campus intern in Riverside. This fall, I'm going to be going into my last year of college at Cal Baptist, where I'm studying music and business. It's been an amazing time here in the campus ministry, and I'm excited for this last year as a student. Um, And I'm so grateful for all of my brothers and sisters and the best friends that I've made in the campus ministry. Um, So this past weekend has been an amazing, refreshing, encouraging time, as you have heard from a lot of the other brothers and sisters. Um, And it's been just really cool to be out here in the desert, even though it's been super hot. Um, But we've been able to connect on so many deeper levels through fellowship, through the different lessons that we've been able to have. And with the theme of this weekend being all in, it's really helped me to reflect on different areas of my life where I feel like God's calling me to go all in for him. 
And recently I was able to go to ICMC out in Oklahoma, which was a super refreshing time of fellowship with brothers and sisters from around the U.S. And we heard amazing lessons and classes. The topic for that entire weekend was build. And I took so many things away from the classes. But if I had to sum it up, it would be the fact of how crucial it is for us to make sure that we're building our solid foundation on Jesus as we are living out our mission of building up the kingdom of God. But I was reflecting on it, and I was like, okay, in order to do this and to be able to build, the first step is to go all in and to fully commit to God. And so during the women's session out at ICMC, they talked about two women in the Bible who left amazing legacies, and they were mentioned in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew. And so we went in depth on the lives of both Rahab and Ruth, and I've been able to go even deeper in studying out their lives, and that led me to study out the Hall of Faith, as we call it, and Hebrews 11. And I was reading in just about how faithful these men and women were, and they truly went all in for God and for his kingdom. And so while I was reading through this chapter, one of the people that stood out was Abraham. He really dove headfirst for God and wholeheartedly followed him in so many areas of his life. But as I read about his story, sometimes I can look at his life and think, wow, me personally, I have so many doubts and insecurities that can hold me back from going in as deep as Abraham did. But I also forget the fact that Abraham also had those same doubts and those same insecurities that he had to work on and grow in in his relationship with God. And God was with him every single step of the way. He was so patient with him, and he gave him the strength to grow. And so this afternoon, I wanted to start at the beginning of Abraham's story in the book of Genesis. And we're going to go back before his name was changed to Abraham. Um, So he was still called Abram. So let's start in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 6. And this is going to be Abraham's first call from God. And so, yeah, so the scripture reads, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And so I'm sure a lot of you guys here in this room have heard Abram's story before. He was a key, influential man of God, and he was able to be used in powerful ways for God. And so in this scripture here, this is where his story begins. This is the first of many of God's promises to him. It's God's first call. He was calling both him and his wife to leave everything that they knew to leave all of their comfortability, their family, their possessions. They had to put their entire trust in him and just follow his lead and direction. This really is an act of going all in for God. And also at the last part of this verse, God promises blessings that will come as they trust in him, as they surrender everything to him. So as we continue on reading through Abraham's story in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, Um, we see some of Abraham's questions and some of his doubts that he has. And he's able to ask these questions to God. 
And so as we read, um, the word reads, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate as Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And so as we read through this passage, those doubts and questions that he had start popping up. And I love how God begins this conversation with Abram by telling him to not be afraid. But right away, Abram is afraid. And he comes to God with all these questions, doubts, and fears that he has. And for some background, Abram and his wife Sarai were not able to have children. And here, God is promising them that they're going to have offspring as numerous as the stars. And because of their old age, this was so hard for them to believe. Um, And something that really sticks out to me is how God listens to Abram. He gives him the opportunity to share where his heart is truly at. And even though God already knows, he welcomes that. And he wants Abram to talk to him, to have that communication. And something that happened this morning, we had the amazing opportunity to have a deep study of God's word with Jason Alexander. We read through Psalm 19. And this has been one of my favorite psalms, actually, since I was in high school. But today, it was so awesome. I was able to read this passage with a totally different perspective than I ever have. And I feel like God is really speaking through his word, and I gained a different appreciation for his word and for this scripture and this psalm in particular. And as we read through the psalm, as we reflected, and we had some great conversations with some hard questions that I've honestly never asked myself. And one thing that really stood out to me was how God's creation and nature are two different things. Creation implies and shows that there is a creator, that there's a huge purpose behind it. And nature shows that something is just there, no matter how amazing it is and how awestruck we can be, it's just there. And so going back to Abram, God took him outside to show him how great God is. And for me, whenever I'm outside in God's creation, I feel like that's where I'm truly able to connect with God in a different way than if I was just sitting indoors. And fun fact about me, I absolutely love the beach, and I will go there any chance I get. And whenever I look out across the ocean, I watch the sunset over the water, I feel the warmth of the sun, I can just feel God's presence. And it kind of stuns me sometimes. And even being in the ocean and swimming, how powerful the waves are, and sometimes they knock you over and you feel like you're going to drown a little bit. But it just shows God's power and his majesty. And it reminds me of how small I am compared to creation. God created the universe. There are so many different planets. And he chose each one of us to live here so we can survive. (laughs) And how much more God loves each one of us. And how much he cares for each one of us. Even though he created all of this for his glory and for us to enjoy But he loves us and he created us with so much detail and so much thought. And he wants the best for us. And so I imagine that when Abram, that night, God took him outside and was like, look at the stars. He probably felt the same way. 
And it says in verse 6 that Abram believed the Lord. And so it was after he was able to kind of slow down, go in God's creation, and just look up at the sky. And God had to really tell him, like, hey, look up and count them, but you might not be able to because there are so many. And so after he was able to do that, he was able to be reminded of that and reminded of who God is, and he was able to take another step and really go all in. And it says in the last part of the verse, that was credited to him as righteousness. And so as we continue, um, in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8, this is where Abram really goes all in and takes that final step. And so as we read here, it reads, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And so we can see he's now 99 years old. So a few years have passed since God's first initial call to him. And we see that in this passage, after God speaks, his first response is not to question and to doubt and bring those to God. He already had the time for that. His first response was to fall face down in awe of God. And even though he most likely still had questions and doubts that were in his head, he surrendered those to God and he just kind of just, he just went and just offered himself to God. He was really all in. And God was continuing to remind him of his promises and his covenant that he's been telling Abraham for a few years. And he, Abraham had no idea how God's plan was going to play out. Even here, they still didn't have a child. And here God is promising you're going to have like numerous descendants. Um, but God gave Abram a new name. He redefined his identity and he was truly God's son. And he gave him that new purpose, despite the questions, despite the doubts and the fears. And so in our own lives, despite those questions, insecurities, doubts, do we still go all in and trust God that he's going to fulfill his promises and his plan for our lives? Or do we shy away and try and play it safe and just maybe do a little bit here and there because we don't want to, you know, it's scary to be completely honest, it's very scary. And it takes that leap of faith and that courage to really just offer that to God and be used by him. And for me personally, this is so hard for me to do. I constantly have to be reminded of God's sovereignty and his power in my life in order for me to be used by him. I'm so grateful that I can read about people like Abraham, about Sarah, who they were wholeheartedly following God's direction in their lives even though they had their questions. And just the fact that God welcomes our questions and he listens to them, 
And that it just reminds me, it's okay to question God. It's okay to be fearful and doubtful. God wants us to come to him with anything, whether that is good or bad. And God doesn't call us to be perfect disciples. I know for me sometimes I can feel like if I mess up in this area or if I'm not doing well here, then I can beat myself up a little bit and tell myself, okay, you need to be better. Jesus died for you. You need to be better. But that's not how God sees me. That's not how he called me. He just called me to be faithful and to follow him. And so it's okay if we're not perfect. God uses imperfect people. And so now Patrick is going to be taking us to the New Testament as we continue to learn about going all in. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? All right. Oh, that's heavier than I expected. I got a thing. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so exactly. God doesn't call us to be perfect disciples, um, he calls us to be faithful disciples, that, that, we, have, that we have questions, we, we can have doubts, but that's not what God is looking for, right? He, he, but yeah, exactly, he calls us to be faithful, not perfect. So what does it mean for us to be all in? Uh, last Saturday, Michaela and I had the opportunity to go to Orange County and hear Sean Wooten speak. Uh, he is the director of Eastern European Missions, um, and he spoke about our sister churches in Ukraine, Moldova, and elsewhere throughout Eastern Europe. Um, and he made a few comments that have now become my portion of the lesson for this afternoon. Uh, so if you hate it, Please direct your comments to at Sean Revive on Instagram. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so Sean pointed us to an interesting passage that I want us to turn to today. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 20. It says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, One of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. The first thing that I want us to turn our attention to is verse 21. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. It's interesting that Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Peter will deny him three times. Some of the disciples, Peter included, will return to their profession of fishing almost immediately after Jesus' death giving up on the man and the work that they've spent the last three years filling their life with. Some of the disciples will flee Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, and those that will stay in Jerusalem will meet behind a locked door for fear of the Jewish leaders. Even just a couple of verses later, in verse 31, 
Jesus says, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You will all fall away on account of me. But even in all of this, Jesus says that only one will betray him. So what made Judas different? What made his betrayal unique? I think it's that Judas, Judas gave up. The sheep scattered and he did not come back. Being all in doesn't mean that we don't fail. And being all in doesn't mean that we don't fall. But being all in does mean that when we fall, when we fail, we get back up. At the end of John's Gospel, in chapter 21, we see the restoration of Peter. I'm going to start in verse 15. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Three times Peter denied Jesus, and three times Jesus restored him to himself. And here he reaffirms the call that he made to Peter three years earlier to follow him. That call is the same for us today. When we sin, we are to look to the cross, see that our sin has been bled for and died for, and we reaffirm our call to follow Christ. We get back up. Of course, our willingness to get back up and once again follow Christ is dependent on who we think he is. Who is Jesus? Is he a God who forgives us Seven times? Or is he a God that forgives us 77 times? That is to say, constantly, generously, freely, and without a record of wrongs. Who we think Jesus is will determine our willingness to get back up. And it's the second thing that I want to look at in Matthew chapter 26, specifically looking at verses 22 and 25. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And verse 25, Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Who is Jesus? Lord. Lord. Is he Rabbi? Is he a moral teacher? Or is he Lord? Being all in means recognizing 
that you are not the final authority on what is right, good, or noble. It means recognizing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that I am not, and that you are not. Patrick's way and Patrick's truth are so incredibly inferior to that of Jesus. A teacher gives input into one's life, whereas a Lord wants to take over one's life. When we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is that we know that we don't know everything. We're saying that we know that we are bad captains of our lives. We're saying that we need help. And Jesus is a good Lord. The one whom we have given control over our lives is the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. And he has promised rest for our souls. Rest. God is not a tough master and we are not his slaves. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. One of the things that I was kind of worried about with this theme of all in is the tendency for some to equate being all in with being perfect. That somehow you're not completely sold out as a disciple if you still struggle. You know, as, as if we don't have a high priest that is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. If being all in means not struggling or not failing, then I am not qualified to be a disciple. I'm not qualified to be up here. I'm not qualified to be a campus intern. I'm going to close with this. I, I remember hearing this illustration that has been so incredibly helpful to me. Imagine a wedding of a great and powerful king who has fallen in love with a poor, debt-ridden prostitute. She could do nothing to make herself queen, right? clean herself up, change her life. She can't make herself queen. But come their wedding day, she says some words to him. All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. You know, any normal groom of his stature may say, thanks, you've just given me all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your debt. But this king takes all of that, and he says, all that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. And in that instant, she is his bride. At this moment, does the queen know how to be a queen? Will she fail at points in being a queen? Yes. You know, what is more important to this king? That this new queen acts as the perfect queen? Or that she is a faithful bride? Being all in does not mean perfection. But it does mean that we get back up. It does mean that we return to our king. Thank you.